Welcome to the Synth Electronic Music Show, brought to you by the Coastal Electronauts here in Whitstable. My name is Peter Boyd, coming to you from the Sonic Shed, and my co-present Clive Warpole is across town in his analogue podule. Yes, hello Peter from my uh, Synth Cave Soundhouse. Tonight we're joined by award-winning composer, writer, associate dean and head of creative campus at Liverpool Hope University and lifelong friend, Professor Stephen Davis Moon. Hi Steve. Welcome to the show. Hi Clive, hi Pete. Yeah, thanks for inviting me onto the show. Um, love it. I love the, the breadth of your um, curatorial uh, um, vision. It's really fantastic and also the, the, the humour that accompanies much of it as well. It's, it's what's definitely what's needed. I'll we'll take it very seriously. That's really nice. <laughs> What, the humour you take seriously? <laughs> yeah, oh, we, th- we always take humour seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm delighted to be on. Thanks for the invite. Oh, it's great to have yeah, you. Thanks. So uh, your work, you use, you use um, voice and orchestral instruments and combine with electronics, algorithms and field recordings. But how, how did you first get interested in electronic music? Well, I suppose like, probably many people of, of my age anyway, um, probably the first electronic piece that I ever heard was probably Jean-Michel Jarre, and that was mainly through my mum. She used to call it space music. But I think she, I think she liked Jean-Michel Jarre more than his music, if I'm honest. You know, he was quite a dashing bloke, wasn't he? A bit of a a French heartthrob sort of. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, But I remember, I think it was you, Clive, saying on the show a couple of weeks ago about the otherworldliness of those synth sounds, and it really did transport my imagination. And then the next thing was hearing Heroes. That was, I think, the first piece of music that I heard that I liked myself on, under my own terms. You know, I saw him on the Mark Boland show um, yeah. singing Heroes. And that was the first piece that I remember thinking, wow, that's a really interesting sound. Um, mm. And then Gary Newman, seeing Gary Newman on Top of the Pops, um, Our Friends Electric. And then I guess, Pete, when you and I started playing together, whenever that would have been, 81, 82, I, I guess, yeah. something like that. Early, yeah. Um, and the kind of stuff that you and your sister introduced me to was, you know, was a really big, you know, we were doing lots of exchanges, I suppose, b- between sounds and so on. Yeah. Um, and it, but it, okay, I've been a guitarist, I've lapsed once or twice um, during my time, but generally speaking, the guitar has always been with me through my life. But also, um, you know, the wonderful vistas of sounds that electronics and electronics electrics as well bring to it. I mean, also, I remember hearing Elvis Presley's Heartbreak Hotel and the echo on his voice in that is just extraordinary. You know, mm. it, it really does transport you to a totally different uh, dimension of sound. It's quite sort of magical reverb. Yeah. You know, when you get, when, you know, I used to, when I was a kid, when my granny and granddad used to take me to a, like a, a like, sort of like a working men's club it was, and they used to have a band on there. And I used to be fascinated by people playing electric guitars and you could hear all the, that reverb. I used to think it was amazing. Yeah. And the really sound does transport you. Natural quality of sound is, is so important as well. I mean, I, realized, I remember loving Ennio Morricone soundtrack, and then I went to Woolworths and saw and bought the sort of like the, their version, and I was so disappointed yeah. when I listened to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you realise? <laughs> I was at one of the top of the Pops albums, or what did they call their Wars? Yeah, albums? Top Hits. Was it Top, top Hits or something? something? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and I realised that. Well, later on, realised that it was the quality of the recording and the, and the instrumentation and you know, the moment, which was as, yeah. as powerful <coughs> as the music in a way. Yeah, mm. no, totally. Mm. And then, as I, I suppose, as I've 
carried on it's been um electronics brings a whole different dimension to the to my work as a as a composer so it might be that having a portable um audio recorder i can capture the sounds of nature and then transform those i love love doing that love playing with that i also enjoy um adding extra dimensions to um the instrumentalists or vocalists that i've been lucky enough to work with and also the the way of working with um it's not really electronic music as such i suppose but electronic circuitry through using algorithmic um programming through programs like um, opus modus or um open music the earcam yeah. program yeah. um you know modeling musical structures that way i, I love it so that you can yeah. look at a repertoire let's say you wanted to do a I don't know, a harpsichord sonata. So you went to some Scarlatti stuff and looked at the gestures that exist in that music and then looked at it as an Arcus harpsichord piece and you could you could model the kinds of gestures that are there and potentially model a piece that bridges the gap between those two musical worlds. And so I love yeah. that as well. Yeah. You know, looking at the the world of music as a as a library that you can enter into. Yeah, I suppose that's what's uh, I mean, it all comes under the electronic music and such, doesn't it? But that that's it gives us that uh analysis that we can uh, transpose, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But with the, the new technology and that, it's, it's made it so accessible now. I think it's lovely the way you can you know, you just sit on a laptop, virtually produce an album. Yeah. Just with a laptop, it's fantastic. I think, yeah. when I think years ago, I used to mess around with, although I loved doing it, chopping up tape and splicing it together and doing big tape loops down the stairs, my dad saying, what's all this? bloody mess down here, you know, don't touch it, don't touch it, you know, things like that. Um, but I used to love it, but now you can still achieve it, you know, without, without going to all the sticky tape. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So should we uh, go for the first piece you've chosen? Which yeah. Is, uh, which, which was using tape. Yeah. And uh, yes. other things. The poem Electronique by Edgar Varese. Yeah. So, um, with Edgar Varez, he's been uh, an important character for me for many, many years now. Um, this, I think, is the first or the oldest piece of um, purely electronic um, uh, piece made. There are earlier pieces that have uh, instruments plus electronics, but this is the first piece, I think, in the, in the repertoire anyway, that is only electronic. Yeah. Um, and I think this is what made me think about what Clive said a couple of weeks ago. This was, when I first heard this, Pete, it was, um, I was doing night school stuff at Goldsmiths College and I heard this, it was on the, rep, on the, on the syllabus and mm. I, it just blew my mind. I thought, my God, that's an incredible piece. Um, mm. What an incredible imagination. Mm. And then as I got to know his work more and more and I did some scholarship on, on him, I think that's about 10 years ago now, 20 years ago, oh my God, <laughs> 20 <laughs> years ago. Um, I, uh, I got to know his his thinking about about sound and how we should respect the inherent energy that sound has, and we mm. sh should really respect that. Mm. And we should be thinking of ourselves as sculptures with sound, and not kind of that's, trying to trap it right. in any way. It's like almost like a painting rather than a mm. a tune. I yeah. feel with sound, and, yeah. and the way it's just one sound can kind of make you feel emotional. Yeah, mm. just a sound. Yeah, it's, it's quite incredible. Yeah, it is, exactly. So this is a poem, Electronic, by Varese. Mm -hmm. 
So that was uh, the father of electronic music, Varese, with Poem Electronique. As a, yes. Originally, it was it was performed with like hundreds of speakers, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. at the Philips Pavilion. Yeah, and I think it's probably worth pointing out something that I didn't know until I started doing this scholarship on Varese twenty years ago. <laughs> was that um, there was a lady called Anne McMillan um, who taught Verez how to use a tape recorder. Yeah. And so without her input, this piece, arguably anyway, this piece and nor Désert would have existed. Um, although Verez was very, very keen to explore you know, electronic um, sounds, it was Anne McMillan that, that really helped him enormously. Right. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, so the tape's a kind of canvas here. Yeah, your paint on, isn't it? So yeah, it gives you yeah, totally. That. I like that sort of sound as well. It, often when I go walking, I like. I always think of some of the things, music like that, like an audio map. You know. Yeah. And as you're walking along, yeah. you hit sounds change as you're walking along. And it's yeah. a bit like you're going through a soundscape. Yeah. As you, yeah. Totally drifting like through. That sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. Very much so. So the second uh, piece you've chosen tonight is a. Uh, Telemusic by Stockhausen. So it, was yeah. an, it was another commission, wasn't it, by, uh, from the Japan Broadcasting Corporation? That's right. Yeah, and um, for me, I guess like a lot of people that have gotten involved in electronic music in one way or another, you almost can't avoid Stockhausen, and neither, neither should you really. Mm. Um, but when I was at uni, um, at University of Southampton, and uh, one of my things that I was studying a lot was electronic music composition at that time, although the, the studio there at that time was, was, was quite small and limited. Um, but they had a fantastic record collection, and so I did an enormous amount of listening. And this piece, Telemusic, was I thought was as astonishing. You know, a bit like the poem Electronique, but I listened to it over and over and over again. And what I found most astonishing, I think, was the way in which Stockhausen had tried to capture um, the whole world um, in a musical piece. I mean, okay, you could say that that was a bit over the top, I guess, but what he was trying to do musically was to try to bring many, many traditions from all around the world together in a single yeah. work. Mm. And I think that's really a beautiful idea. Yeah. yeah it's an amazing, ambitious piece, isn't it? In incredibly mm -hmm. ambitious, yes, yes. yeah. Oh! <laughs> 
that was uh, Stockhausen with Telemusic. There's not much we could do more in the days with the, 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 the equipment, so the computers, but it's, it probably takes, it doesn't take as long, does it? But it's, it's no, really, exactly. Yeah. no, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a really fantastic sort of processing and, and, and composition. Yeah, I mean, if you read through the, um, the liner notes for the um, Stockhausen Verlag um, CD releases, um, it gives an enormous amount of detail on, uh, about the compositional process. I found those fascinating to read. Mm. Um, and I heard an interview with him before he passed away. Um, it's probably about 20 years ago now, I suppose. Um, when he was quite critical of his electronic music, the early mm. stuff. Um, and I thought he was giving himself a bit of a hard time, really. Mm. Uh, because I think that, as you said, I think, Pete, um, that was 1966, I think, that piece. And if you think about you know, the quality of that sound, mm. it still sounds really great, I think. It does, um, yeah. You know, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, really present. Yeah, you could sort of see things like that being done, well, sort of VCSRs and things like that used to be, lend themselves that kind of, that sort of sound quality, your ring modulation and stuff like yeah. that. And I, I like yeah. that. Yeah. That kind of sound, yeah. I used to no, mess around with wave radio years ago. Um, yeah, receivers and then right. put calculators next to them when they had old LEDs and they used to actually if you stuck them into zero divided by zero they they had no zero positions they always go mad and then <laughs> give out lots of frequencies right. and you're moving them around uh, they used to mess around all day <laughs> um, but I, I can't think of a a bad sounding piece by Stockhausen even the really mm. early pieces from 1951 or 52 the the um, the study the t the two um, electronic music electronic yeah. music um, studies and the etude um, and then you have the Gesang der Jungelinger um, piece a little bit later um, mm. you know it's amazing pieces yeah. in fact mm. one of the pieces we're going to play a little bit later by Raz G his his one of his last albums if not his last album Stargate music um, on the first couple of tracks on that album he's he's sampling Stockhausen's Gesang der Jungelinger yeah um, so I guess shows that it still has a currency now, yeah. um, even amongst more more recent music producers of a totally different genre as well. I just remember when I uh, started uh, using um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not Ableton. What's, um, my brain's gone. Max MSP. Oh yeah. And, uh, and the, the, when you first turned it on, it's in the nineties, I think. Where it first came out. Yeah. And it was uh, it was uh, Contact as a demo. So we'll move on to a, a piece by Luigi Nono, who you're, you're, you're an expert on him, aren't you? You've written, written the book about him, is that right? Well, I, I, I edited um, uh, a number of papers mm. written on him, and for a long time it was one of the only... I was quite proud of the fact that for a very long time it was the only publications in English on Nono. Um, mm. And for whatever reason... Um, quite probably because of his um, his political standpoint, uh, had remained unpopular in in the UK and in the USA. Um, but I've, if we leave the, the politics, if you like, to one side for for him, from his music, although in some respects it's quite difficult to do that. But what I love about his music so much is that you have to listen really carefully. Mm. to hear where the live instruments stop and the electronics take over. It's a really, really subtle blend. Um, there's not a kind of bombastic treatment of electronics in, in, his, in his work. 
And this uh, Guaya Gelidi Mostri, which means um, beware of beware of frozen monsters. Yeah, that, that's pretty much mm. what, what it what it means. And he's well, not he, but the, the writer. Um, oh God, his name's gone from my mind now. Um, Massimo Cacciari. Um, he's he was a quite a long term friend of Nono. Um, and the frozen monsters of the text of this piece are the state, mm. the power of the state. Um, um, but yeah, I, th- I, I find this piece beautiful. But also Prometeo, his his final opera is also an incredible piece of, of blending electronics and and live instruments. Of course, before the days as well of Maxim SP, you know, so they were doing it with all hardware stuff, you know. So yeah, if you see yeah. early photographs of Prometeo, there's a whole bank of people sitting with with computers and so on and doing mm. bits and pieces. <laughs> and I was very lucky to, um, well, firstly to. Um, become very good friends with Roberto Fabriciani, who played on a lot of these early, uh, not early, sorry, late, um, late Nono pieces. But he was the um, one of the main um, collaborators with Nono. Uh, right. Oh wow! Roberto Fabriciani. He's playing on this recording. So, hmm. um, yeah, uh, it's it's wonderful stuff. <laughs> okay, this is Guai Ai Gilidi Mostri Luigi Nono.
Luigi Nono with Guai Ai Galidi Mostri, part one. Is using, um, say, flute, clarinet, voice, and what, what were the live electronics? How were they using? Yeah, well, it, typically Nono would only use um, delays. You can probably tell that there was very, very long delays set up in there, mm. a number of them, and um, hardware uh, comb filters, you probably could hear that too. But again, very, very subtle in the mix. Um, and spatialization as well. So when you first, when I first heard uh, these pieces, um, I thought spatialization, that's just not going to be very interesting. <laughs> but then of course you go and hear it and you're surrounded by the speakers and the sound's moving all around you. Mm. And it was incredibly expressive from that point of view. It wasn't gimmicky. Yeah. I thought it would be gimmicky, but it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. So typically it's fair on oh, pitch shifting as well. So it would be pitch shift, Delay and um, uh, specialization, yeah. reverberation, and sort of um, uh, early frippatronics in a way. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> using those sort of delays in that way. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think that piece is from uh, 1984, 1985, oh, right. or something like that. It's um, very recent then. Yeah, oh. it's, it is really more recent than I thought. Yeah. 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 Um, he, Nono didn't really start using live electronics until around about 1980 with um, a piece for, for chamber choir and bass flute played by Roberto Fabriciani tape and live electronics. And I think that's from 1979 or 1980. And yeah. that's um, Atman de Klasein. It's a really beautiful piece as well. Mm. Um, but one of the interesting things that I came across with Nono's work was that he spoke of the, the microphone. The use of the microphone allowed him to explore acoustic instruments and voices all over again, because of course you could amplify what he yeah. calls yeah. the micro-universe mm. of sound. Yeah. Um, and then you, of course you, you transform it through electronic circuitry and you have a whole new otherworldly yeah. soundscape. With those it's pieces. amazing how you can use a, like an acoustic instrument just as experimentally. Totally. As yeah. You know, an electronic yeah. instrument. And, yeah. and vice versa, you can use an electronic instrument in a very mm. acoustic-like way, a very conventional yeah. way. But it's, yeah. it, was, that, it was very interesting textures with the flutes and things like that. Yeah. So you yeah. couldn't see the join, in a way, you know what I mean, between yeah. electronics and acoustics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've got to listen really hard with, with mm. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a... There is a you know, that, I think about the, the microphone and the, and the, mi the microscopic... So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Interesting. And he was also very, very keen that um, that the live electronics, the mix of the live electronics would be a performative act. So you mm. wouldn't just set everything and it's always the same in every venue because, again, he said, well, every venue has a... Well, he didn't say it, but he implied that every venue would have a life of its own, which, of course, it does. It has mm. its own acoustic properties. Yeah. And so, again, the mixing board becomes... Very, very important from a yeah. from a performative point of view. Uh, yeah, he's a bit of a. Really he liked a bit of dub, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <A bit of laughs> <dub. Sorry. laughs> the next track is um, by uh, Eduard Artemyev, um, who was a composer, Russian composer, famously known for working with the film director Tarkovsky, scoring all his films. You've chosen a piece called Exodus from a film, The Mirror. Yeah, I this a film I haven't actually seen that one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you find out what it's about, Pete, let me know. I mean, it's it's a it's a 
apparently a kind of a, a, a bio, biographical um, thing from Tarkovsky. But my discovery of Tarkovsky came immediately after Nono because Nono and Tarkovsky were very close friends. And in fact, Nono wrote a really beautiful piece, um, Homage à Tarkovsky, which is a really, you know, fantastic orchestral piece. Um, but I didn't really know what to expect when I when I saw it. And, um, it was again probably about 30 years ago when I first saw Mirror. It's still my favourite sound, soundtrack of any film. Mm. I love the way that um, Edouard Artemiev, Artemiev sorry, um, combines, again, electronic soundscapes together with acoustic soundscapes yeah. and, and creates something really otherworldly. It's really beautiful, haunting um, in, in, in a quite a profound way. I've... I've been in contact with him relatively recently. I tried to get him to come to England um, in 2017 because it was his 80th birthday. Oh, right. And so we exchanged some emails, which was really wonderful for me. Um, but sadly, he couldn't come because he, he, got, he got a little bit ill. He's, he's fine now, thankfully. But um, yeah, he's an extraordinary um, creator. He's still doing it now. Yeah. You know, he's still yeah. doing stuff. Well, it's, yeah. yeah, quite it's extraordinary, fine. really. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, this this piece is I, th I think really beautiful. Okay, this is a ex Exodus by Edward Artemyev. Thank you. 
No, no, when I hear that, you, sometimes I think, oh, how inspiring, isn't it? Other times I think, how am I going to beat that? Or how am I going to do anything to, to <laughs> not beat it, but follow it? You know, it's yeah. so, so stirring, I find, anyway. It's extraordinary imagination and, yeah. and refined craftspersonship and shit, or whatever. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, um, it has a sort of, it has a timeless quality to it, isn't it? It's not, yeah. mm. it's, I mean, is it 1975, I think it was yeah, written, but it didn't, yeah. it's, um, yeah, just those waves of uh, sonics just overlapping. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's gorgeous. There's a, gorgeous. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking about, there's a, there's a sort of a, a parallel Russian synthesizer um, sort of industry, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, time. Yeah, there's like yeah. the Polyvox and what They're really big collector stuff now as well, yeah. all the Russian synth. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. And then yeah. you... <laughs> so next we have a piece by Stephen Davis Moon. <laughs> That's right. Um, one of the pieces that I've chosen uh, is, well, as you know, Pete, I think um, I lived in Scotland for 20 years. Yeah. Um, left London to go to the south coast and Southampton, then went from there to, to Edinburgh initially to do my PhD, but then lived in Glasgow for a... lived in Scotland for 20 years all in total, and I think I was in Glasgow for 13 of those years, something yeah. like that, for perhaps even 14. Um, so I often think that, okay, was born in, you know, whatever, northeast London or in the environs of there, but in many ways I became an adult in Glasgow in, mm. in, in mm. many ways. Um, and I, it's, it's a great city, and um, both cities, in fact, have a very interesting, you know, electronic music side to them as well. Anyway, um, I collaborated with a number of artists um, in Scotland during that time, one of whom is Gordon Munro, whose voice is, is on here. He's a fantastic actor. Yeah. Um, and was able to set text by James Kelman. Um, I'm not sure... Um, I mean, he's obviously very, very highly regarded in Scotland. I'm pretty sure he's very highly regarded throughout the whole of, of the UK. And um, actually, mm. just leave all that out. I'm pretty sure he's very well regarded. Um, you know, I, don't want, I don't want him coming down and sorting <laughs> me out, like, you know, so... Do you know I am? But he, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but he won the Booker Prize, didn't he? Um, how late it oh, was, yeah. how late. Um, but he, that was a long time ago he won the Booker Prize. Mm. Anyway, but he very kindly, he came to a live performance of the first time that I did these with, with Gordon. And I was thinking, what's he going to make of it? Because it's pretty abstract stuff. It's the only piece that I've... The electronic side of it is purely electronic. There's no samples. The only thing that's natural, mm. if you like, is, 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 is Gordon's voice, you know. So, mm. But even that is played about with live. And of course, this piece is live. There's no tape or whatever going on it. So it's all totally triggered from laptop and push and so on so Gordon's voice as well is is um is tampered with yeah. <laughs> say. but anyway James Kelman was was very gracious and he was very you know gave his blessing so to speak so this um this piece called the failure um well I'll, I'll let the words speak for themselves really I think rather than me try and okay you know Ruin it. Whereas the drop appeared to recede into black nothingness, I deduced each side of the chasm to taper until they merged. Each object would eventually land 
And if footholds were to exist, then discovering them could scarcely be avoided. The black of the nothingness was only so from the top. White would be perceived at the bottom. A position from where even the tiniest of specks would enable the black to be quashed. And should a problem arise, groping an ascent via the footholds would be fairly certain. I jump. The sensation of the fall is indescribable. Much later, upon landing, I faced black nothingness. I had been mistaken about the light. That speck was insufficient. I could distinguish nothing whatsoever. But it was impossible to concentrate, for my boots were wedged into the sides and my knees were twisted unnaturally. My arms had been forced round onto my back, with my shoulders pressed forward. The entire position of my body was reminiscent of what the adept yogi may accomplish. I ate all over. Then I had become aware of how irresponsibly conceived my planet had been. It was as if somehow I had expected the bottom to be large enough to accommodate an average-sized, fully-grown ale. For a lengthy period, I attempted to dislodge myself, but to no avail. I panicked. I clawed and clawed at the backs of my thighs in an effort to hoist up my legs, until finally I was obliged to halt. Through sheer fatigue, the wrists and finger joints, sweat dripped from my every pore, and the echo consequent upon this was resounding. Beginning from the drips, the noise developed into one continuous roar that increased as it rose and rose and rose. An awful realization was presenting itself to me. The more I tried and tried to dislodge my body, the more firmly entrenched I would become. Think of the manner whereby a mouse seals its own fate within that most iniquitous of adhesives it has entered to search out that last scrap of food. Yes, an immediate reaction to a desperate situation may well be normal, but it is rarely other than misguided. That's a failure from Stephen Davis Moon. Very, wow. very immersive and intense. Is it binaural? It sounds binaural. Um, yeah, yeah, it's live. It's quadraphonic. Mm. So um, 
I'm not sure how much you get of it in the in the mix there, but you know, so Gordon's voice is travelling around the audience in different directions, at different speeds as well. So when the text is getting more anxious, his his voice is travelling faster. So it kind yeah. of I'm using the spatialization a bit. I've stolen from Nona really. I mean, just using the spatialization to heighten the drama in the text. Really, you know. Um, you can feel the. Uh, yeah. You feel the sort of the, the intensity rising with the voice, can't you? With the, with the energy, isn't it? It's like an energy field building and dropping, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a great he's a great voice, a great actor. Mm. I was really real privileged to work with him. Worked on him with, on, a, on a few projects. But yeah, it's great. And of course, Kelman's writing when when you have a gift like that, you know, the imagery in his writing it's just sends you straight off in a kind of an imagination. Um, journey. Well, a perfect trio, you three. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. So next we have a uh, piece by, I'll say this right, Guy Gersariaho, Finnish composer, based in Paris. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, when I started my studies at Edinburgh, I came across um, Sariaho's music um, and also her writings. I was totally taken um, by by the CD that I bought that this comes from at that time I played it over and over and over again and I guess a bit like um, Artemiev or a bit like Nono with this piece again you have to listen very carefully to where the electronics are in the texture mm. um, you know the, the instrumental writing and the electronics elide you know they, they kind of join together it's beautiful um, but also her writing you know, I remember there's one article that she wrote where she spoke about sometimes she would paint her orchestral textures, and depending upon the the weight of the the brushstroke, she would then transcribe that into a denseness in terms of the orchestration. Mm. And I thought that's really really fascinating. But also, mm. her other ideas about harmonicity and inharmonicity. It's not just her ideas, but the ideas that were floating through the spectral school at that time. I found and still find very interesting a, a different way to think of consonance and dissonance, if you like, when you're writing either an orchestral score or an electronic score, you know, playing mm. about with ambiences, really, you know, um, yeah, to create yeah. tension or, or relaxation. And this piece is called Verblendungen by Kaija Sariaho.
So that's Verblendungen yeah. by Kaija Zariaho. Yeah. yeah. So it's, 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 the structure is just one sort of transition. Yeah. Yeah, that start with that sort of bell-like sound, that sort of metallic sound, sounded like, a, you know, if you got a bell and rang it and then slowed it down mm, and just yeah. let it go and go and go and go. Yeah. Mm, yeah. a lovely sound. Yeah. And in, in that way, uh, Clive, there is a, in, some, some, in many respects, a, a line, if you like, from Verez through to the spectralist because what, exactly that kind of thing, one, one of the mm. techniques that the the spectralist would do and still do is to record natural sounds then stick mm. them through a, an analyzer to see what kind of harmonics are in the room that ah, you might be hearing yeah, yeah. Yeah. and then resynthesizing it through orchestration mm. and of course if you go against the harmonics that are in the analyzer then you're going to create a kind of a dissonance if you go yeah. with it you're going to create less of yeah. a dissonance and it's, it's a beautiful idea really yeah, it is yeah it's so you really are dealing with the, the natural energy that's already there in the sound you know mm. yeah <clears throat> There's an interesting thing. Well, the way that uh, pure sounds have, have no uh, harmonics, the fewer harmonics, the less interesting they become as such. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the texture disappears. So, moving on to a piece by Luke Ferrari, Presquian Ave Feel. It is written for a dancer, a memorized sound. Yeah. Um, when, when I first heard soundscape type of composition um i just thought it was a lot of nonsense really I, I didn't really i didn't really get it <laughs> you know and i thought that's just a bit too easy all you've got to do is get a tape recorder and wander about a bit you know <laughs> yeah so <laughs> yeah and then i thought well okay i'll have a go then and you realize how difficult it is you know to get number one to get really good quality recordings in in nature mm. you, you know um so there was that. Well, nature stops doing what you want it yeah. to do as soon as you go record it. Yeah, it? exactly. Or it starts, <laughs> it starts getting windy when it wasn't windy before, you know, yeah, and, and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. And so I thought, oh dear, and that was a really stupid thing to be thinking, Steve. Um, and then when I started listening to, in particular, Ferrari's work, I suddenly realised it's not just one microphone, Steve, you numpty. Um, it's lots of very, very fine cuts from one location to another. And so then I began to really appreciate the kind of craftsmanship that goes into a work like this. Mm. Um, and the beauty of it, because of course it is a celebration of the natural world, but it can only, such a piece can only be achieved through, you know, the use of a very, very careful use of a microphone and I guess splicing techniques at that time and, and mixing. Mm. Um, and I, th I think it's a really beautiful, beautiful piece. So this is... Rest Rianne, have a feel by Luke Ferrari. Es durch die Augen. Der Blick. Ja. 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 
Caché dans un arbre. That's interesting what you say about field recordings because it's, once you do start recording, you realise preconceptions about what you what you hear, mm. what you're supposed to hear. <coughs> if you, totally. If you yeah. want to you think, oh, I'll go, I'll go and record some bird sounds, and then you go outside and there's cars and there's a there's, 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 um, yeah. Because uh, your brain edits out so much. Yeah. When you're listening, it does. You know, it just does edit things out. And then you listen to it back and think, oh, that's not what I heard. But, yeah. But that editing is nice as well. The editing on that was amazing. Yes. Mm. Um, gorgeous piece. I mean, I, I really do take your point, Pete, about the preconceptions the, or the emotional preconceptions that you might have about when you go out to record something. I remember I did a piece uh, about 10 years ago now, I think, as a sound installation. Um, and all of the sound is water. I had this idea that I would record the life of a river because I thought it'll be really relaxing <laughs> and of course so the river that I chose was the Arno River which starts in the Apennino Mountains and then runs through um, Florence and Pisa and out to the Mediterranean Sea um, and I loved it for a number of reasons because of course that part of Italy is incredibly historic for, for music history anyway you know if you think of Florence it's the birthplace of opera for example and, uh, and a number of other, a number of other kind of um, people that came from in, in and around that region. 
Um, just a bit further south of Florence, you have Arezzo. Uh, mm. Guido d'Arezzo was a, was a monk there, and he is the guy that invented five lines for music. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a pretty historic mm. area for, for music. Anyway, the first time I went there, I went in the wintertime to record the, the water in the mountains. And of course, the snow was melting, so it was incredibly loud. <laughs> I couldn't believe I couldn't believe the sound of it. And then I went back several other times to record um, the water in Florence and Pisa, and because it was summer then, it was hardly moving, and you know, so it was very very quiet. So yeah, absolutely, you can very very much be surprised um, um, by your expectations as to what mm. the sound will emit to you in terms of an emotion. That's in the part one of our two-part special with Professor Stephen Davis Moon. We'll be coming back to the second part in a couple of weeks' time. Next week we have a another special with Will Gregory from Move Ensemble and Goldfrap, of course. So we'll see you next week for that. Until then, join us on Facebook, uh, Coastal Electronauts page. And we'll see you next week.